Welcome to Rowan College of Burlington County's Baroness Podcast. I'm Dr. Brooke Myatt, Program Chair and Assistant Professor of our Entertainment Technologies Department. I'm a co-chair of the Women's Advocacy Group, a subcommittee of the President's Advisory Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This monthly series highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. Tune in for a female perspective on the Burlington County community. We are here to listen to these amazing women. If you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we have two members of the RCBC family joining us today to talk about their breast cancer journey. We have Dr. Karen Montalto, Dean of Health Sciences and the Nursing Program Director, and Patrice Fields, an accountant and analyst here at RCBC. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being here to talk about this very special topic. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to go over some quick stats that I found about breast cancer. And, you know, we actually talked right before we started recording and every single person that is here, including our engineer, that breast cancer has had an impact in their life. And in 2022, it's estimated among women in the U.S., there will be 287,850 new cases of evasive breast cancer, 51,400 new cases of ductal carcinoma, and 43,250 breast cancer deaths. When you hear those numbers, and you two are survivors and you're sitting here, what are those numbers? What is that, the first thing that comes to your mind, Dr. Montalto? It's just amazing to me that as long as we've been working on cures for breast cancer, that, uh, that we're still kind of where we have been for a long time. And I know we've gotten a little better at uh, diagnosing and targeting treatments, but uh, I still don't see a lot of change from the uh, experience that I went through that's been over 25 years ago. And Patrice, this month you're celebrating five years cancer-free. So I I, I need to give a round of applause. I mean, cancerversary, amazing for you. Can you share with us a small story of your journey. It started in just as a normal mammography, and it ended up being breast cancer, which was a total shock to me. I was not expecting them to say that I had had um, an ultrasound before, and they had extra tests, and I just thought it was going to be routine, but it was not. It was breast cancer. And what would you tell women who are afraid? You know, so many women are afraid to get checked, to go get a mammography. What, what, what are your, you know, what would you tell those women? Early detection can save your life. And that's what you need. You have to go get checked, even if you're afraid. I was afraid. I think everyone is afraid, but they can save your life and you must save your life. And what's interesting about Dr. Montato's story, you said, you know, early detection, you were very young. Yes. When you received your diagnosis. So can you share your story with us, which was so powerful because you were going through so many different things in your life at that time? I routinely did monthly self-breast exams because my mother had 
uh, breast cancer when she was fairly young. I was actually trying to get pregnant at the time and, and had done a, uh, a pregnancy test and, and it was positive. Uh, but at the same time, I found a lump in my breast and uh, my general practitioner just said, oh, it's probably a blocked milk duct. And I kind of went with that because I never thought that it would be cancer uh, that young. And those of us that you know, feel maybe a lump or we're not sure, what would you say to those women to go get checked? Absolutely anything that you feel you should go get checked. The um, I know people have uh, cystic breast disease and often their doctors will say, well, if you feel lumps, that's probably what it is. Never go with what's probably. Always get it checked out. Always go and uh, and get a professional opinion. And I'm just so happy that I did. I didn't. If I had just taken the advice of my general practitioner, I wouldn't be here today. So tell us, what did you after you had this diagnosis, and you weren't taking the first go of what the doctor said? What made you say, I need to go get a second opinion? And then what transpired from there? I went almost right away to my um, OB doctor. And he was, um, he was an older doctor that had a lot of experience. And uh, when he felt my breast, he said, no, this does not feel normal to me. And, uh, you know, and I, and I was thinking that, you know, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, you know, I, I had two other children. I didn't have anything that felt like this, you know, in my breast then. So, uh, so as soon as he said that to me, I, um, I went for a biopsy of the lump. Patrice, when you found out that you had breast cancer, who was there as your support system? Because we all need a support system to, to be with us. And I think that's one of the things people look for that you do, we don't realize that we can't do it alone. It takes a village. Who was that support system for you? Um, my mother and my sister. And uh, I had friends and they all helped. Uh, my mother had breast cancer in 2000. So she also knew the routine and what to expect. But Praise God, we didn't have the gene, which is even more serious if you have BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene. We did not have that. I actually, you know, in speaking of the BRCA1 and BRCA2, um, and we talked about breast cancer in this room, my mother had inflammatory breast cancer, and then my mother's mother also had breast cancer. So I recently went through the BRCA testing, and and, and knock on wood, I do not have the gene. Um, for those of us that don't understand BRCA1 and BRCA2, I'm going to ask Dr. Montalto, since she's the, out of all of us here, she is the medical professional, would you be able to explain what that terminology we're, we're, we're talking about, the BRCA1 and BRCA2, for those of the listeners that don't know? I didn't realize there'd be a test today. You know, in all of the advances that we've had in, in breast cancer research, uh, certainly one of the things they focused on a lot are determining genetic markers that, uh, that, uh, that tell us that you have a higher propensity to have breast cancer in the future. And um, the, uh, the genes that you're referencing are actually linked more towards European populations and, and certain areas. So there are other genetic markers that they also test for if you do go in for, for testing to, to see if you have um, 
have specific genetic markers. And for example, in my family, we have we have a high degree of cancer, not uh, not all breast cancer, but we do have, um, my father died of cancer, my brother died of cancer, I have an uncle who died of cancer. So um, I when I went in for testing for BRCA1 and 2, I, I didn't have it, but, uh, but my doctor did tell me that I have other genetic markers that lead to a higher degree of cancer within your family. So, so it is, you know, it is a precaution. We do do testing for those two, uh, two genes, certainly, but, um, but I think a high degree of people who have cancer in their family don't have those genes, but it, it doesn't necessarily, I guess, mean that, okay, you're, you're good. You're free. Yeah. You're not, you're not cancer free. You're just of this one area of, right of cancer that it, you don't right. have those markers. But I would say that given, you know, your history and, and Patrice's history, if you have if you have children, then they should also go and get tested and make sure that, you know, they have routine breast exams and not not just uh, your uh, female children, but your male children as well. And what I love, Patrice, about why we are here today, you kind of influenced this because you sent an email to our um, co-chair of our women's advocacy group asking if there was a survivor group, a breast cancer survivor group. And we were like, oh my God, this is such an amazing thing. I, we didn't think about that. And you brought this to the forefront. So I definitely want to say thank you for you know, sending that email because if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here today talking about such this important topic. And what do you feel that survivors need? Because I think there is a need, and that's why you sent that email. So what is that need for you? I think that it needs to be discussed because each person has a different journey. And all cancer is not the same. You may have breast cancer, but it is different in each person. So to get it out and talk about your fears, uh, every time I go to get my checkup, I'm afraid. It never goes away, and you need to talk about it. I think people need to say out loud that I'm afraid. Have you connected with other RCBC family members, and and has that brought you support? Uh, I've talked to a couple of ladies that have breast cancer before me, and we do talk about our journey. Uh, They listen to me, and I listen to them, and they give me uh, other advice about survival, and they help me to kind of relax a little bit before I go into all the tests for each year. Sure, it's so, so nerve-wracking. Yeah. yeah, it's nerve-wracking, and it's waiting for the doctor to come in to say, you're okay or you're not okay, and um, it it's, it's never goes away, that fear. It doesn't go away. And I wasn't me, you know, my mother had breast cancer, but I actually am a survivor of thyroid cancer. And again, the same feeling, you have that fear all the, every six months you get your blood work, you get your ultrasound, you get, Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my, you know, is it clear? Is it? And, and I think we all have that fear and I'm sure Dr. Montalto, you have that fear and you also have, you know, daughters, uh, and, and children of of that fear. How do you share that with them and, and your students? Well, first, um, I recently, um, within the last year when I went for my checkup, I, well, I had a, um, a radical mastectomy because at, at the time I, I couldn't have the conservative treatment that really, you know, most likely is, is recommended. But, um, 
But at my last checkup, uh, the doctor came in afterwards and said, um, well, we found something. And my thought was, it just can't be happening again. Sure. But, but I agree with Patrice that like every ache and pain, you think, okay, it's cancer. It's mm-hmm. got to be cancer, right? So, but I, I never expected it to be uh, in my breast again. So uh, thankfully, it's, it's, we're watching and waiting right now. But I had to go through, you know, the, the doctor sitting with me and saying that, well, if this were my family member, I'd, you know, so you have to have more testing. So an MRI and an ultrasound. And then I had a biopsy. And um, I have to tell you that for my first biopsy, I was knocked out. So, you know, that was fine. But for this one, it, you know, I wasn't knocked out. It was a suction biopsy. And um, uh, it, uh, it was absolutely horrible. Um, you hear, you know, I, so Patrice is nodding her head. So I'm thinking this, this is what you had. You hear the, the machine going and it's, you know, worrying and, and the doctor is literally like going in and out with this long tube and, and, um, and you feel everything, even though they've numbed you, you know, a little bit. And, uh, so my way through that was, I just kept babbling to the, to the tech that was there with me, but, uh, when they did that, then they put a marker in and uh, whatever those abnormal cells were, they then said that they, you know, they actually had gotten all of them out, you know, in the, in the biopsy. But so I do go now for every six months, I go for a checkup. But even with that, I had gone to, you know, to, um, to Larchmont and to uh, Virtua and I went back to Fox Chase because that's where I first had, you know, my surgery. Um, because I, um, it's not that I didn't trust them, but I think, you know, you should always get a second opinion. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, the, um, I wanted to make sure of the report and make sure that, uh, that everything was being done that had to be done. So, uh, because I want to be there for my daughters, but, uh, my, uh, both of them have had early detection. They've had, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say both of them. My oldest one has had a mammogram and MRIs because she does have cystic breasts. And my youngest, though, has not had it. So I do encourage it. How do you keep, how do you keep going? Like those days where, you know, high stress, high, high anxiety, you go to the appointment, you're like in that waiting zone to hear what's like your escape or where you can just relax? What do you do? Do do you, do you go for a drive? Do you have a cup of coffee? Do you take a walk? (laughs) What, what, what is that? Like, where do you go? What, what makes you feel calm and for a moment, like lets you escape and be free of this C word cancer? Cancer. I, for me, I just start praying because I don't know um, exactly what else to do. You know, it's just fear. And then when the person comes in the room, it's usually, it's not always the doctor, it's the uh, uh, nurse technician. And she'll come in and she'll say, everything's okay, Patrice, you can go. And, and that's when you just breathe. Yeah. Because the other times you're just holding your breath and you're just, it's just fearful. But once they say everything is okay and you go home and for, I would say the drive home, I'm I'm good. By the time I get to the door to the house to tell my mom I'm okay, um, then I'm I'm fine. I'm relaxed. But I could just bust out crying in any any minute because it's just so stressful. 
It is. So, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> but we need everybody to know that. We need everybody to understand that. That, you know, it it's it's not over and done. You're it's always on your shoulder. It's always in the shadows. You know, you're always afraid that it's always afraid that it's yeah. coming back, you know. Yeah. And even if they tell you they don't think that type of cancer will be back, it's not it doesn't release you from the feeling. It it doesn't release you when you go in. You're still waiting. What was the moment like when they first told you? Oh, hmm? I thought they were talking to somebody else. You know, I literally turned around and looked behind me because I really thought he was talking to someone else. Yeah. I just could not believe he was saying that. I don't think you forget that. Never. I will never You remember it. the date, the place, like what you're wearing, oh, where you were? Yeah, everything. You just, you're like, oh, he's talking to somebody else. And I turn around and I look and I said, oh my God, he's talking to me. He means me. I have cancer. And it just takes your life to another level. It takes you to another level. But my doctors, they didn't, because um, hers was 25 years ago, they do not advocate to remove your breast. Right. They now they would like you to do chemo and radiation and sometimes you don't need chemo uh, at that time but you do get a chemo pill. I, I had, did I yeah. had chemo though. I yes. did have chemo but mine uh, was a little different because I was pregnant. So I couldn't have radiation. Right. So that's why they recommended the uh, the mastectomy. But uh, I did start chemo in my third trimester. But what struck me with these doctors is that even at Fox Chase, which is that's all they do, that's their ad, they say, that's all they do every day. But um, they still said it's an unknown because, you know, everybody's different. So it's a different situation for everybody. So um, so I I did chemotherapy, but it wasn't the recommended chemotherapy, really, because they knew that the, the uh, strongest would most likely cross the placenta and kill the, the embryo, because the, uh, that's what chemo is, is developed to kill rapidly dividing cells, because that's what cancer is. But, sure, right. you know, that's what a growing fetus is, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I had drugs that were not, um, they're still recommended for breast cancer, but they weren't maybe the strongest uh, that, or the typical ones they would have recommended to somebody in my situation being young if I wasn't pregnant. So, mm-hmm. But I did start uh, chemo in my third trimester and, um, and continued you know, throughout the rest of my pregnancy. But then, uh, then I del- they had me deliver early so that she would miss the last cycle. And then they said to me, well, we don't know what that will do if that's good enough. So I started chemo all over again after her birth. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. That's different. And you had a lot of other family situations going it's on just, with yeah. your story. So yeah. you were diagnosed with cancer and then I believe other family members. So what, my, can you share that? My mother was diagnosed in the same breast the same week that I was. Uh, my parents lived in Ohio and my mother had had breast cancer years before Uh, So this wasn't, you know, metastasis. This was just a new, uh, you know, a secondary occurrence of cancer. But um, being that, and and we're both, my mother was a nurse as well. So we're both nurses. But um, I felt like I couldn't tell her. So uh, I told her I was pregnant. 
but I felt like since she was going through this again, that I couldn't tell her that I also had cancer because I, you know, um, as Patrice said, a lot of this is your frame of mind and your, you know, how you think about it and your support systems and your praying. And I thought, how could I put my mother through this, you know, because then uh, there's the, that unknown, um, so I didn't share with her. I did. I do have a lot of nurse friends. So I feel like that was one of my biggest support groups uh, because, you know, uh, I had the advantage of having uh, a lot of nurses come in to visit me while, you know, while I was in the hospital or when I was going through something. So that was comforting in a way uh, because the, you know, they know, but kind of unsettling in a way because it seems like the nurses then in the hospital think that you know everything so they're not there as much for you I think. right they're like you're a nurse you got <laughs> yeah, the you, you know, know the lingo you know you know the, you you're, know the situation yeah, so you're, you're i don't need to vomit. You. you know that right <laughs> right so they just assume but yeah. you're but you're still that a patient right and, and not and and, and not the nurse at that time. And not an oncology nurse, right. although now I feel like I You're I professional, kind of am, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, but I was, I'm also not an OB nurse, so, you know, I had all those normal pregnancy things going on as well. And um, so I, I found it interesting that some of the nurses made assumptions. I'd come in for, for chemo. Um, you sit in a big infusion room and, you know, uh, everybody walking around, they'd see somebody come in with a huge abdomen of course, at Fox Chase, they don't think, oh, she must be pregnant. They think, oh, gosh, she's got a heck of a tumor in her stomach, right? That, uh, and that was, must be why she's here. So it's an, it was an interesting experience. So, Patrice, your treatment of chemo radiation, can you share that experience with us? Sure. Um, the first time uh, after I had a lumpectomy and I went through that, uh, Starting in February, I started 22 sessions of radiation. One of the ladies here, that's my friend, told me to be prepared for the machine, the radiation machine. So she brought in a picture so that I wouldn't be afraid. The machine takes up the entire room. So when you walk in there, it's this big thing that takes up a room. And it scares you to death. And you lay down, and they start marking you with dye so that they can pinpoint the tumor where it's been removed and give you radiation. The funny thing was they pinpointed me with dye the same color as my moles. So then they couldn't find where they had tattooed me <laughs> with the dye. So they we went back and did, excuse me, red. Okay. So that worked out much better. Uh, the machine, 22 sessions, I did not burn. And that's a, a big... That's great. Yeah, yeah, big warning uh, thing that you have on you because your skin peels and everything, and they don't want that to happen. So sure. they gave me medication. It's in a, in the form of a salve to put on yourself right after you have radiation. Sure. And then after the sessions, uh, I started in March with a chemo pill. The first pill uh, was too strong. Remedix, I had too many side effects. So now I'm on Letrozole, which is working well for me. What were some of the side effects you were experiencing 
joint ache. Um, really, that was the main thing. I almost couldn't walk. My joints were just so sore. And they said that was one of the main side effects of that. But it was the best drug that they had at the time. Uh, I ended up with Letrozole. I still have some joint ache, but nothing like I did with the Rimadex. So what kept you going every day? Like what, what kept you going, like saying, you know, if you didn't, you know, not to stop this and to keep going, like what motivated you to keep going? I want to live. That's just it. I want to live. I want to see my family, my friends, uh, my niece grow up, uh, my friends' children's grow up. And I, I just want to be alive. I want to laugh. I want to eat. I want to eat more than anything. And uh, I dance and have fun. So, and the way to do that was to take this course of medicine and take care of myself. Dr. Montalto, what keeps you going after everything you've been through, your, your, you know, your mom, this, this at such a young age? I have a good sense of humor, I think. I have, uh, at times, I'm uh, maybe a little sarcastic, but, uh, but I do have a good sense of humor. And the, the same as Patrice, it's you, you think about your family. And I know throughout the, um, my treatment, I thought about my child. So um, it was, you know, uh, kind of that feeling that, you know, uh, you're going through this, but you have to. And, and you don't even really think about mm. what's happening to you, the consequences, because mm. you know that you're saving your child. So, mm. um, so I, you know... When I was vomiting, my my chemo was all IV, so I had to come in and get stuck all the time, and and uh, and I was still working uh, as a nurse and teaching um, and teaching clinical. So I'd go into the hospital, and you know, a student would say to me, "Oh, I'm going to go in and and change a dressing," and I'd say, "Okay, I'll be out in the hall vomiting." So um, <laughs> it's uh, but you just keep. Uh, you know, you keep going. And, and my doctor told me about a year after my daughter was bo- born, I really felt horrible. I, uh, I, you know, and I couldn't understand what was happening. And he said it was almost like a PTSD because you, you don't think about it while you're going through it. But afterwards, after things calm down and, and your treatment is kind of over and, and then, then you have time to think about yourself. So it's, it's almost a, a traumatic stress after, you know, after all of this calms, calms down. Yeah. I mean, I think you wish, and for me too, like you, you wish like you were, you know, involved in everyone else's everything. So you don't have to have a second to think about what's going on internally. Right. 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 And that's what happens. That's, and I think the, good. the kind of the secondary thing that always happens with me is that I have so many friends. I mean, as you mentioned in the beginning, the, it's so prevalent, breast cancer is so prevalent that it seems like I always have had a friend over the years who either was going through breast cancer or their sister, their mother, their friend, and, and then they'd refer people to me to, to talk about it. So, so that's a good thing, I think, because they were using me as a, you know, as a positive, you know, but it's also bad because you're, you're constantly reliving it, right? Yes. And even when you're with your friends and, and you have a support group or you're talking to people, you're still reliving that experience of yours, right? So it's, it's good you're helping others, but it's also difficult, right? right? So it is. But um, 
And when you talked earlier about, you know, what, uh, what do you do to kind of think, you know, not think about it? I know you said you pray a lot. And I, I go home and I watch stupid shows on Netflix. And (laughs) I think, you know, I think that's a wonderful thing to have Netflix and Hulu and Prime Video and everything else, because then you can always always find a ridiculous show. Right. Well, you need an escape. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and, you know, whether it's TV for one or music for another mm. or, you know, right, or good praying. food. Yeah. I like yeah. Patrice said, right. we always are, yeah. you know, or whatever, <laughs> or cooking whatever. or it's a hobby right. or knitting right. or whatever you want to do, a scrapbook, whatever your thing yeah. is. Right. Yeah. You have an escape. Um, somebody, yes. You know, you need an escape to be you able to, to. to do this. And, and it's such... I mean, cancer is everywhere. I mean, you know, you've been hearing cancer, not just breast cancer, but I mean, Everything, all right? these cancers oh, yeah. that are popping up in, in, mm-hmm. in everywhere and it's affecting so many people. I mean, I think you ask every single person, they've been affected by like something, something with and, cancer, somebody, mm-hmm. someone that's close to them. You mentioned earlier about, you know, uh, students and being a nurse. And, and I have gone into the, the classrooms when the students are focusing on oncology. And I do, mm-hmm. and, and I do talk about it. I, uh, I've taught pharmacology here and I, I focus on those chemotherapy drugs. And then I can talk about that personal experience with that. And I, um, I think giving a, a perspective of not only being a patient going through it, but being a nurse going through it, I can tell the students, well, you know, you need to focus on what that patient's going through. You know, if you, if you hear joint pain, you don't know what that means because, you know, a lot of the students are younger and maybe haven't had that, but you need to know that's, that's immobilizing. That mm-hmm. is something that, that is so severe that you can't do everything you want to do in the day, or maybe you can't even do anything. And if you hear vomiting, you need to think about the fact that that's, that's vomiting to the point of not being able to do anything else but vomit. So, uh, so students need to understand how, how to care for somebody like that, how to really get involved and how to, uh, how to be there, how to help people. And, you know, I know you also do a lot of, uh, not just here at RCBC, but you do other panels and things to share the story and to share what what the, the needs are from a nurse's perspective. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, one of the uh, nice things about that is that, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, we always feel that what we've gone through is very severe, and it is, but... I, I sit in amazement when I'm on some of these panels because I hear other people's stories and, and I think, oh my gosh, like mine was nothing, you know, compared to them. And, and one of the things I do is that uh, at, a, at one of the colleges, one of my friends teaches a course on, uh, uh, on cancer. And uh, so she, every semester, does a panel of cancer survivors and we all talk about our experience. And it gives the students a chance to say, well, uh, what was your thoughts about nursing, you know, when you were in there getting care, if we, you know, after surgery or after chemo or during chemo? And, um, and it's nice to see that they're concerned because that helps them grow, helps them to be a better nurse. Because I did have nurses that really just didn't even, didn't even get involved. Uh, and I know it's difficult taking care of someone who's vomiting all the time or who has chronic pain. Uh, and nurses, you know, they get busy, they have too many patients to care for. And sometimes you don't have the best experience, maybe not at the, 
due to the nurse's fault, but due to the fact of what healthcare is like in the hospital today. No, I, I totally agree. And these stats come, the, the one stat, I'm going to share two stats, and then I'd let, like a reflection because this supports, obviously, um, you know, what's happening in, in the world with cancer, especially breast cancer, breastcancer.org. About one in eight U.S. women, that's about 13%, will develop evasive breast cancer over the course of her lifetime. Second is for women in the U.S., breast cancer death rates are higher than those for any other cancer besides lung cancer. That's so hard to believe that we still have so many people dying of cancer and we've done so much research. Patrice, your thoughts on those two stats? Um, When I first went into cancer care, I asked about black women surviving Mm -hmm. and what were my chances and what did they feel was the reason that most black women die more than white women from breast cancer. And I asked them, was it because we come late to the diagnosis or do we not understand the care or does the doctor not understand the care because we're all different? And they said that they felt as though it was because the women themselves, do the healthcare system does not recognize the differences and they, they are afraid to come. And so that they felt as though we have to do more outreach to those, to the black communities and get them engaged in their own self-care. I agree. Totally. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is one of the things that I love about RCBC is that our nursing program here is about 40% diverse. And one of our um, biggest sending areas uh, to the program is Willingboro, which is one of the most diverse. uh, Well, I think it is the most diverse community in Burlington County. And I, I am just amazed at how these people Uh, these students come to us and they're dealing with, you know, working full time and they have children and they know they want to be a nurse. And a lot of times they tell us that they want to give back to their community. And we've had international students that live in Willingboro and they tell us, well, they want to go back to their country and they want to assist. And we've had that, we've had that happen. And I think that the fact that that we can do that here, that we can educate people um, to be nurses within two years that, you know, are successful in getting licensed and and we have such diversity. That's a wonderful thing. I, I just really love this college because of that. Well, I thank you both for supporting, um, you know, the RCBC community in the ways that you do. And every month on the Baroness podcast, I write down a lot of random words that have been talked about and I use them as hashtags. And then after I go down the list, I, I ask each of our guests what their hashtag that they live by would be. So I'm going to read the list of words that I've gotten from our conversations. And then I want you to give me what your hashtag would be after hearing these and about our conversation today. Okay. So bear with me. We have a lot of really good ones here. Hashtag cures, hashtag targeting, hashtag change, breast cancer, experience, research, never goes away, found something, cancer, always afraid, 
frame of mind, pray, support system, prepare, sense of humor, early detection, saving lives, afraid, fear, unknown, I want to live, laugh, eat, dance, mammography. So Dr. Montalto, what would your hashtag be for you? Well, I think that um, I'm going to go with what, uh, what Patrice has mentioned really is that um, I think change is the biggest. We, if there are still so many people that are dying from breast cancer, then we need to change how we're educating people. We need to change how we're, uh, how we're finding people to educate. We need to get uh, we need to get more involved in communities to get more people in for, for early detection. Patrice. I want to live. That would be mine. Do you want to expand? I think every person, not just women, I think everyone wants to live. And they want to live not particularly to be successful because each success is each personal thing. But to live and live well, live healthy. I think that that's what everybody wants to do. Well, I thank you both for joining us today. I want to then say again, happy five years to Patrice. And how many years for you, Dr. Montalto? If I tell you, you'll know how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) But my youngest is uh, 27. And she's the one that went through it with me. So I call her my miracle child. Well, thank you. And congratulations to you for being cancer free. We appreciate you sharing your journeys, both of you today. Please visit our website for more information about our DEI initiatives and our committees at www.rcbc.edu slash diversity. If you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the RCBC Baroness podcast wherever you tune in. For a female perspective into the Burlington County community, this has been the Baroness Podcast. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness Podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC Podcast Network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the RCBC Baroness Podcast, available on all streaming platforms. 